I want to begin with prayer this morning. We need to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, Lord, you've told us in your word that we're your children because of our salvation through Jesus Christ. And Lord, you've told us that we can, we can call you Abba, Father. And Lord, your word tells, tells us we can ask and it shall be given unto us. And Father, in a moment, we're going to open our eyes and with our hands, we're going to open up your word, your word that you've given to us. And with our eyes and our minds, we're going to read it. Lord, I'm asking right now that you do something that only you can do. Lord, we can open our eyes. We can, we can open our Bibles. Lord, we need you to open our hearts this morning. Please, God, open our hearts. Open our hearts to your word this morning, oh God. We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' wonderful and precious and lovely name. Amen. You know, as I, I read through the Bible, as I read through the scripture, one of the things that I enjoy it, one of the things that has meant a lot to me in my personal life as I've opened the scripture is statements that different individuals in the Bible have made. Quotes, if you will. Different statements that God, through his Holy Spirit, has put in the depths of their heart. and It's sprung forth from their lips in the midst of the daily circumstances of their life. These statements, and, and there's, there's a few of them that I want to bring to your attention by way of introduction. But they've helped me so much in my life and meant so much to my life. One of them is found in the, the book of Daniel in chapter 2. And without going into all the circumstances, you know the story, but the king has had a dream and he wants that dream interpreted. And all his magicians and everybody else, they can't interpret the dream. And he sends for Daniel. And he puts it before Daniel and he says, you need to interpret this dream. And it's, it's a matter of life and death. And in Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 28, there's a statement that Daniel makes. Daniel goes back and he prays and he gets the men with him to pray. And God gives him an answer and God reveals the interpretation of the dream to him. And then Daniel stands before the king. And as Daniel stands before the king, and he stands in the presence of the king, and he, he says to the king, he says, you've had a dream, and no one can interpret it. And all your magicians and all your men and all your people, they can't interpret it. And then he says this, and boy, I tell you, with this phrase, this statement that Daniel makes, has helped me so much in my life. Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven. And so many times God has taken me from the depths of despair and trouble and unrest in my soul because of circumstances. And all of a sudden I face something, I've gotten a phone call or Something's been brought to my attention and all of a sudden my, my heart is troubled and all of a sudden everything becomes dark. 
Then the Holy Spirit brings that one statement to my mind. That one statement makes all the difference. That one statement right there has so many times taken me from, from, from the very depths of despair and set my feet upon that solid rock again. Because when I'm faced with troubles and trials and circumstances that are beyond my control and things that would just get me down and all of that, and all of a sudden I remember Daniel in the midst of a situation, life and death. Daniel said, but there's a God in heaven. Someone needs to hear that this morning. We all need to hear that this morning. Because that right there makes a difference. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the circumstances are, when you look to that and you think about that, all of a sudden, it's like you're sitting on the back porch early in the morning and it's all dark and all of a sudden you see that sun start to come up over the trees. But there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven. That's a game changer, folks. That makes all the difference. That takes all the cares and all the frustrations and all the distresses and all the, all the worries and puts them in perspective of the almighty God, the eternal God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, my Father in heaven. But there is a God in heaven. And so many times I've sat down, been faced with something, and that verse has carried me through. That verse has brought me to a place of peace and rest. But there is a God in heaven. Over in the book of Acts is another statement made by Paul. It's another circumstance that is just troubling at best. Over the book of Acts in chapter 27, Paul is on a ship. And and you know the story. He's on a ship. He's been taken to Rome. And he's a prisoner. He's going to stand before uh, uh, the rulers. And and there's a storm. And uh, you, you know the details. The Bible says all hope was gone. All hope was gone. This statement, I, 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 I marvel at the statement of Paul. I marvel at what he said. All hope is gone. All these men on this ship are thinking they're going to die. And Paul stands up on the deck of this ship and has the faith and the boldness to say something. And here's what he says. Sirs, Sirs, be of good cheer. Why? For I believe God that it shall be as was told unto me. And those two phrases, those two statements by men that have lived in circumstances far greater than I have ever faced, more dire than I ever been through, both of those men made statements that that changed their lives and helped them in the midst of circumstances. But there is a God in heaven. And I believe God. And I believe that it shall be just as was told unto me. Those statements have helped me so much. 
Because if you tell me there's a God, an almighty God, with whom nothing is impossible, a great God, an almighty God, and He has given me His Word, His Word, His Word. And He says, you can trust it. You can count on it. You can bank on it. You can live by it. You can believe it. And you can stand up with peace and assurance. And you can stand up with a smile on your face. And you can say, but there's a God in heaven. And I believe that God. And I believe His Word. And I believe it'll be just as He said. I tell you, every pastor needs to know that and understand that. You need to go back and remember what Jesus Christ said. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But those two, those two statements are two statements that so many times I just, I just go back and cling to. That's not the statement I want to bring to your attention this morning. Because there's another statement made by another man in the Bible. Elijah. Before we go to that statement that Elijah makes, lest you think more of Elijah than you ought to, the Bible says in the book of James in chapter 5, he was a man just like you and me. He endured like passions. He, knew, he was just, just like you and me. And you know, when we read of these men, sometimes, sometimes we, in our minds, in our hearts, we say, well, well, well these were different individuals. Well, that was Daniel. Well, that was Elijah. Well, that was Paul. No. Every one of those men was a human being just like you and I. Every one of those men had their moments of weakness. Every one of those men had their frailties. Every one of those men had their doubts and their fears and their uncertainties. Every one of those men had to come to the place where they learned to live by faith just like in you, you and I do. And, and when I mean faith, I mean trusting God. Not only believing God, but trusting God. Resting in God. Knowing that there's a God in heaven. Believing God. And believing His Word. And believing that He's got it all under control. As I was getting ready to come down to North Carolina, I was driving down. I was going to drive down. I had planned to drive down. It's a 14-hour trip. So I had it all figured out. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to leave probably early mid-morning on Monday. And I'm just going to take a nice casual trip and spend the night and just mosey on down to North Carolina by Tuesday. And all of a sudden, Saturday night, Saturday evening, the furnace broke. Now, up in New England, if your furnace breaks, as a husband, you do not leave home until that furnace is fixed because you want to return and still have a marriage. One thing you do not do is you do not go on a trip and leave your wife in a home when it's cold without hot water and heat. So it's Saturday night and the furnace breaks. So I said, well, I'm not calling anybody on Saturday night. Next day is Sunday. I said, I'm not calling anybody on Sunday. I'm not going to do that on the Lord's Day. So I said, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to have to change my plans. And I said, Lord, for some reason, you had this furnace break to change the path of my life on Monday. 
So I didn't get upset. I didn't get frustrated. I said, you know what? I said to my wife, I said, I'm just going to stay on Monday. I'll call the furnace people. I'll call them first thing in the morning. And if they come and fix it, they come and fix it. I didn't tell Brother Beal, but I said, if they don't come and fix it, I'm just going to wait and stay until they do come and fix it. And if that means not leaving on Monday, I won't leave on Monday. If that means driving all day on Tuesday, it means driving all day on Tuesday. If it means calling up Brother Beal and say, sorry, i got to tell you, my wife's more important than you, brother. <laughs> so be it. Now, I don't know why. I don't know all the circumstances. I don't know all the goings-on of God. But I know for some reason, God changed my path that day. And I can't stand here and say, well, there was this to that or the other thing. I, I, I have no answers as to why. But I know this, there's a God in heaven. God had that furnace break. They came at, they came, they came at 9 o'clock in the morning. 20 minutes later, it was fixed. And I thanked him. I shut the door and turned the heat on. The heat all works. And I said, Lord, I'm just going to sit down and relax and get with the Word of God and a cup of coffee. And Lord, when you tell me to get in my car and go, I'll go. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I, my wife, she says, what are, you, what are you doing? Where are you going? I says, I don't know. I, I think maybe in about 15 minutes. And I just, all of a sudden, the Lord just said, okay, time to go. And, you know, I don't have any spectacular, nothing beyond that. But I know this, that the Lord takes care of us, folks. But we're just people. We need to learn to trust God. But the statement I want to bring your attention to this morning is found in 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1, and it goes along with what we were talking about yesterday to the men. It's something that we need in our lives. Something we need in our country. More than we need churches being planted, and I am all about church planting. More than we need pastors. More than we need missionaries, we need men of God. That's what we need. We need men of God. We need women of God. We need people of God. And the statement that is made in 2 Kings chapter 1 is a, it's a very powerful statement. It's made by a man named Elijah. And you know the circumstances. You've read this story, so let's just go down for the sake of time. Let's go down and get right to the statement in verse number 10. Elijah's standing there. He's, he's on this mountain, and God has already spoken to him, told him what he's to say to the king. He's given that message to the king, and, and the king sends his army. He sends a, a leader of the army, a commander of the army with 50 men. And they come to Elijah, and they say, Elijah, the king wants you to come. The king wants you to come down. The king wants you to appear before him. And Elijah makes his statement. And what a statement it is. And I'll tell you this right up front. Elijah didn't make it with any sense of self-pride. He didn't make it arrogantly. 
In fact, over in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is with his disciples, and he isn't received well. And two of his disciples said, do you want us to call down fire from heaven like, like Elijah? And Jesus said to them, he says, you don't know what spirit is in you. And yet Elijah stands up. And Elijah, by faith, makes his statement. He says, if I be a man of God, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And it happened. But the statement that I want to speak to you this morning, the statement that I, that I, that I want God to speak to our hearts this morning about is this. If I be a man of God, if I be a man of God, if I be a man of God. You see, we read that statement, we, we read that, 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 those words of Elijah, and we read it in the immediate context of the situation, and, and it grips us. If I be a man of God. Think about that. Elijah stood there before this, this army. He stood there and he looked at these soldiers in the face as they stood before him, these, these 50 soldiers, fierce men, strong men, and their leader, that had said, the king wants you to come down. And Elijah stands there, he says, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. But understand this this morning. My first point is this, we need to see this. Not as an isolated statement. Because it was spoken in one moment. It was spoken in one circumstances, One circumstance. But this phrase and this statement, if I be a man of God, first I want to see it in the context of the entirety of Elijah's life. Because that statement isn't to be made just in a situation, just in a moment of time. It's not that all of a sudden I can stand up and say, if I be a man of God, let this happen. Or if I be a man of God, let this happen. No, this was his life. This needs to be our life. This needs to be our existence. This needs to be who we are. If I be a man of God. Just like that phrase, but there is a God in heaven. What a difference. Just like that phrase, I believe God that it shall be as it was told unto me. This phrase here, this statement here, what a difference it makes in our lives. If I really be a man of God, if I'm a man of God, if you're a woman of God, if I be a man of God, what a difference there is. That's why I say to you this morning, that's what we need. That's what we need in our churches. That's what we need in this college. That's what we need in America. That's what we need in the world. We need Christians, people, men and women and pastors and missionaries and evangelists, song leaders, servants of God. We need people that can say in their hearts, if I be a man of God, if I be a man of God. But I want you to go back with me and go back to 1 Kings chapter 17. I want us to see, first of all, the, the context. Because you're the statement. This statement needs to be a part 
of every moment of our life. It can't be that when I step into the pulpit, I need to be a man of God. It can't be that when I step into a city to to preach the gospel, that I need to be a man of God. No, I need to be a man of God now in my personal life. I need to be a man of God as I drive down to North Carolina. I need to be a man of God as I sit in that guest room all alone. I need to be a man of God in my marriage, in my relationship, in my family. I need to be a man of God in every aspect of my life. What does it mean to be a man of God? What does it mean to be a woman of God? It means this. It means to know in a very personal, in a very practical, in a very real way, the presence and the power of God in my life. Oh, I need to know the presence of God every moment in my life. If I don't know the presence of God in my life, this morning when I wake up, in the middle of the night when I wake up, if I don't know the presence and the reality of God in a personal way in my life, then what is my life? What hope do I have in my life? You see, Elijah knew the presence of God. He knew the power of God. Not only this day, not only this moment when he stood before this army, but he knew it in all aspects of his life. Just look with me in 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee. The Lord says, Elijah, I'll take care of you. Elijah, I'll feed you. Elijah, I'll bring you drink. Elijah, I'll take care of your every needs. You just go down by that brook. Elijah was a man of God. And he believed God. And the Bible says in verse number 5, So he went and did according unto the word, of the, Lord of, uh, the word of the Lord. He was a man of God. And when God said, Elijah, I'll take care of you. Elijah says, I believe it. I trust it. And Lord, if you say that my sustenance, my supply will be down at that brook. And if you say that it will come from the mouth of a raven. I'll believe you. I'll trust you. And as a man of God, he trusted God. He obeyed God. You go over in 1 Kings chapter 17, later on in verse number 9. The Lord says, now I want you to go. And I want you to go to the house of a widow woman. Really, a widow woman. I want you to go to the house of a widow woman who doesn't have barely enough to survive. And I'll take care of you there. And what does it say? Elijah did it. Elijah obeyed him. Elijah obeyed the Lord. He trusted God. And he walks into this house and he tells this widow woman, feed me and, t- and trust God. And he says in verse 13, fear not and go as do thou hast said. And, but, but make me there of a little cake first and bring it unto me. And after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. The barrel of meal shall not waste. Neither shall the cruise of oil fail. And once again we see this man of God trusting God. Trusting God that God would take care of him through the life of a widow woman. Then you go down in the chapter, and I'm hastening through this, but but I want you to see how it affected every area of his life. Verse number 17, it comes to pass that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, 
What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? And Elijah takes this young boy. He goes up in the room. And in verse number 21, he stretches himself upon the child three times. And cries unto the Lord and says, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of How does that happen, folks? How does that happen? How does it happen that this man can take this child, this son of this widow woman? How does it happen that he can lay this, this young man down on the bed, stretch himself over, cry unto God? Cry unto God. Say, Lord, would you please restore the life of this man? And the Bible says the Lord heard, the Lord hearkened, and the Lord brought life to this man again. You go on in chapter 18. Chapter 18, and Elijah's going to stand before Ahab. And Obadiah says, Elijah, if you tell me to go tell Ahab, you're going to stand before him. Please make sure you do it, because it's going to cost me my life. And Elijah says in verse 15, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. And Elijah says, I'll be there. I'll be there. I gave you my word. I will be there. If I said I'll be there, I'll be there. You see, the the man of God, that phrase, man of God, affected every year of his life. We know the rest of that story in in chapter 18. He would stand before all the prophets of Baal. He would stand before the children of Israel. And he would say, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. How is it he had had the courage, the boldness to stand in front of all those men, all those false prophets, all the children of Israel, and stand up and say, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If he isn't, then don't. But then you come over to chapter 19, and you still see a man of God. Here you see a man of God weak. You see a man of God frail. And let me tell you something, unless you, in your own mind, you elevate any man that stands behind this pulpit, let me warn you, every man that stands behind this pulpit knows exactly how weak they are, how frail they are, and how prone they are to discouragement, and how prone they are to quit, and to throw the towel in when the times get tough, and God knows that more than anybody else. God takes this man of God when he's in the most discouraging time of his life, when he sits down under a juniper tree, and he requests that he should die. He's better that I should die than than continuing on. And I'm so thankful for 1 Kings chapter 19. It's helped me out so many times in my life. The Lord takes him up on a mountain, and then in a still, small voice, still, small voice, tender, loving God, Speaks to the man of God. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? I've still got you. I've still got you in my hand. I've still got you under control. I've still got a plan. Stand up and keep going. You see, when we come over to 2 Kings chapter 1, that statement is not an isolated statement in one moment of time. That is the context of the life of this man, Elijah, that God used greatly. It's in the context of a life that went through all the ups and downs, all the circumstances, all the situations. From the time when he could stand up and say, how long you halt between two opinions, 
to the moment where he's sitting down and discouraged and ready to throw the towel in. From the moment when he has nothing to eat and he's depending upon the Lord to take care of his every need to the moment when he lies on a bed and cries out for God's mercy, grace, and power to raise a young man up from where he is. You see that phrase, man of God. That phrase, man of God. If I be a man of God, it has to permeate every, every essence of my being. It has to affect every part of my life. It has to affect my, my thoughts. It has to affect my perspective. It has to affect my, my trust and my faith in God. It has to affect my prayer life. It has to affect my, my ministry. If I be a man of God, if I be a man of God. You see, then you come back to 2 Kings chapter 1. First of all, it's a, it's a phrase, a statement that's made in the context of a whole life. In a whole life. If I be a man of God. But then second of all, 2 Kings chapter 1. It's a statement of confidence. If I be a man of God. Think of the confidence in that statement. Think of the boldness in that statement. Not arrogance. Not superiority. Not anything in, of, in and of himself. Elijah's not saying, I am something. He's saying, I'm a man of God. It's of God. It's of God. I'm simply a man of God. But with that statement comes such confidence. Confidence. If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee in thy fifty. What confidence there is in that statement. You see, there's, there's first of all, there's a confidence, there's an assurance. If I be a man of God, it's going to give me confidence. It's going to give me assurance in the word of God. It's going to give me assurance in the word of God. God has given, the Lord has given Elijah a message about the king. And his message is this, without going into full context, but look back at verse number six. His message is this. Elijah, I want you to tell the king something. What a message it is. He says, I want you to tell the king, you're going to die. Thou shalt surely die. Verse number, verse number six. King, you're going to die. Why could Elijah say that? Because in the context of his life, he had seen and he knew that the word of God was true, that God was faithful to his word. He had seen it in all areas, all the other areas of life. God said, I'll take care of you, and he did. God said, stand up before the king, and he did. God said, stand up on Mount Carmel and call him out, and he did. When the Lord gave Elijah this message regarding the king and regarding the brevity and, the, and, and, and his life and the fact that he was going to die, Elijah was able to stand up and with all the boldness say, if I be a man of God, if I be a man of God, and he had the assurance of the word of God that gave him the boldness to stand up and speak to the king and says, you're going to die. Years ago, 1999, we, God 
purposed and led us to start another church down in the city. <coughs> so as we were planning to start this church, getting ready to start this church, did all my research, did all my homework, found a building that would be suitable to rent, to have a church, had to go before planning and zoning, a planning and zoning committee meeting. So I, 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 I made up this whole packet. Dr. Spencer, you'd been, oh, you would have been happy. Whole presentation package. And I went through all the zone. I went through everything. I had it all laid out. I had what would satisfy the fire marshal seating, park, everything. Number, everything, all the purpose. I mean, had this whole packet presentation. Came down to a meeting with planning and zoning. So I went to this meeting, got there early. And a group of people seated around the table. And I went down, smiling, happy, excited. We're going to start a church. All these other churches in the city, I thought, this will be, be easy. We're just going to start one more church in this city. So I, I went around all the tables and I gave everybody a presentation. And all the people looking at it and thanked me. Hello, Pastor Meter, and all friendly and all looking at this presentation. Then this man walks in. He's the head of the Planning and Zoning Commission. Big guy. Big guy. Intimidating man. Just by his size. And he walks in like this. And I walk up to him. And, you know, I'm a friendly guy. I'm a nice guy. I think. <laughs> and I said, hello. And I introduced myself. And I said, I'm Pastor Meter. And I said, uh, I want to talk to you. We, we, we'd like to start a church in, your, in, the, in the city. And I'll never, I'll never forget it. He says, you don't understand. He took the packet. Brother Spencer, he took the packet, slammed it down on the table, and he says, you don't understand. He says, we don't want your church in our city. Didn't even open up the packet. He says, this meeting's over. We don't want you in our city. Now, what would you do at that moment? I'll tell you this. At that moment, God gave me a boldness. A quiet boldness, but a boldness not in myself, but in the assurance of God's word. Because I knew, I knew that God had led us to start a church in that city. I knew that beyond any shadow of a doubt. I knew that God wanted a church in that city. And this man standing here says, you don't understand. We don't want your church in that city. And I just quietly smiled and I said, no, sir, you don't understand. God wants his church, in your city, and it will be. Now, I couldn't help but take a donut from the Dunkin' Donuts box on the way out as I smiled and shook his hand. Later on, I went to a zoning meeting, another zoning meeting. I stood in the back. A man came up to me. He says, Pastor Meter. I said, yeah. He said, what are you doing here? I says, well, just, just, I'm in the city, and God wants us to have a church in your city. Well, we rented a room at the Radisson Hotel. We rented a conference room. We started the church, and the church started, and the city couldn't do anything about it because we rented a conference room. Two years later, two years later, in the hotel, they, they came to me on a Sunday morning. They said, listen, uh, the management changed, and they're going to up your rent. It was only by $100, but they're going to up your rent. And I said, great. 
And I said, what? I said, that's exciting. And the lady said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'll be back tomorrow to talk to you. So I came back Monday and I came back in. She says, you seemed excited. I said, yeah, I'm excited. She says, why? She says, because we're not paying that. I said, I'm excited because that means God's going to give us a different place. I said, God's going to give us a new place. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. So I said, we're, we're not renewing the lease. And uh, she just looked at me. I said, have a nice day. And I walked out. <laughs> I walked one block up the street. And I walked by the city hall. And I was walking by the city hall. A man came out of the city hall. And I was walking by. He said, Pastor Meter. And I turned. And I, I didn't remember this man. And he says, you don't remember me. He said, but two years ago, I was in that zoning and planning, planning and zoning meeting. He said, first of all, I want to I apologize. I want to apologize. They were very rude to you. And then he said this, but, he says, Pastor Meter, that man is no longer the head of the Planning and Zoning Commission. He says, he's no longer on the board. He says, you don't have to worry about him anymore. I'm thinking I wasn't. <laughs> he says, Pastor, he says, listen, you don't have to come to any Planning and Zoning Commission meetings. Whatever you want in the city, just go and do it. Listen to me. I went from the hotel to the city hall. Didn't stop there. I was walking one more block up the street. Walked up the street. Another man stepped out of a building. Stepped out of a building that we had looked at in the beginning. as a, We thought it would be a good spot for a church. Man stepped out of the building. He says, pass the meter. And I, this time I'm just saying, what, what is going on? He says, you remember you looked at our building a while back? I said, yeah. He says, it's still open. You want to you look at it again? I said, yeah, let's go. Walked in, the, the, that old, big old building. I walked in. He says, uh, it's, it's, still, it's still available. Well, I said, well, how much? Same exact price as what the hotel said they wanted to charge us. I said, we'll take it. And I signed a lease right there, month-by-month month lease. I went from the hotel to the city hall to a building all because I knew the assurance of God's word. God says, I want a church in that city. That church is still going. Still going. Struggling, but it's still going because God wants that church. But you know, Elijah stands with the assurance of the word of God. Because he's a man of God and he has the assurance of the word of God, he can stand up boldly and say, if I be a man of God, let this take place. Let this happen. There was another time. Not only does it speak of assurance, but he's able to speak with authority. What authority? What authority in Elijah to stand up and say, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume the in these 50. I was up in another city where we had another church up in Willimannock. I was up there one day by myself and I pulled up to a street corner. I said, Lord, direct me to, to exactly where and who you want me to share the gospel with this morning. I said, I want to know that my steps are ordered by the Lord. So, Lord, when I get out of my truck, when I get, get out of my truck, guide me to where you want me to speak. And so I got out of my truck. I turned around. I started to walk down West Avenue. And as I turned down this, this avenue, there was a porch. There was a house and a porch. And I saw a group of people, probably 12 to 15 people seated on the porch. 
So I, I went up to him, and I'm standing on the sidewalk looking up at this porch, and once, once again there was another big guy sitting in the middle and all these people around him. And uh, I said, my name's Pastor Meter, and, and this, is a, this, is a, this is a phrase I use. I said, I'm the chaplain of West, West Avenue. And they said, what? I said, I'm the chaplain of West Avenue. They said, what is that? I said, well, I said, God wants me to preach the gospel. I said, that makes me the chaplain of this street. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. I'm going to preach. And I said, I, I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. As soon as I said that, that man right in the middle got up and went back in the house. And everybody but one lady turned and went in the house and shut the door. And this lady turns, she says, she says, I can't believe it. I've just seen the power of God. I said, I'm saying, what? What do you mean? She says, do you know who that man is? I said, no, I have no clue who he is. She says, he's one of the most, one of the most feared drug dealers in the city. And she says, he doesn't fear anybody. She says, he, he's afraid of you. And I said, no. She says, yeah, he got up and went in the house. He's afraid of you. She says, I've seen the power of God. I, she says, I've no, I know. I've seen the power of God. I went up, I went up with those steps and I, I knocked on the door and I opened the door. And I, I just, I just, there were people in the house and I said, listen. I said, I know you shut the door. I said, but I at least want to give you some tracks. And, uh, and I want to give you the word of God. And so please take them. And, and, and they took them. Now, I, don't, I never saw that man again. But, but you see, when, when, when you know the presence and the power of God. You can walk and you can minister and you can serve in all areas of your life with a boldness, with an assurance of the word of God, with the authority of the word of God. And you can stand up and declare the word of God. And you can speak to people the gospel of Jesus Christ with the authority of the word of God. So number one, it, it gives you a, it's in the context of, of every, every, area, every area of your life. Number two, it's, it's a statement that brings confidence to your life. But thirdly, it's a statement that brings conviction to others. Conviction to others. This is what is so needed in our world today. This is what's so needed. The Bible says in the New Testament that the men of God in the New Testament, it was said of them they turned the whole world upside down. And you know, when, when Elijah made this statement, he said it once and fire came down and Consume those 50. Another group of men comes up and he says the same thing. Second time, if I be a man of God, fire come down from heaven. And it happened. And then you go down to verse number 13. He sent again a captain of the third, 50, went up and came. Look at the difference. This time, this time, this man, instead of coming up and saying, listen, the king wants you to come down. This man comes up. Because the statement by the man of God and the power and the presence of God in Elijah's life that had been so visibly displayed in those two previous times that this man comes up and instead of coming up with all the, with all the arrogancy of a soldier and a commander, instead of saying, listen, the king wants you to come down, this man stands up and he, he doesn't stand up. He falls on his knees. He falls on his knees before Elijah. And he cries out and says, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. What a difference. What a difference. 
We try so hard in our flesh and in the strength of our flesh and the strength of our own might to change the hearts and move the hearts of men when if we would simply be men of God, God would use that conviction and that difference in our life to bring people to the place where they fall down before God and humble themselves before God and open their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can see it in the New Testament. Without going over there, in Acts chapter 7, man by the name of the Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with power. The Bible says that all of a sudden one day, because they were, didn't like what he was preaching, they were about to stone him. They're picking up stones to stone him. And Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, looks up into the heaven, says, I see the heavens open, and behold, I see the glory of God. And I see Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of God. Folks, that, that man of God right there, Stephen, and his testimony, his life, it brought conviction to the heart of another man. But there was another young man standing there by the name of Saul. And that young man stood there and he watched as this man with all the assurance of the Word of God, with all the authority of God, could look up to heaven and declare that he saw the glory of God, saw Jesus Christ. And that began to convict the heart of Saul. It's only a few chapters later where Saul is on the road to Damascus and the Lord Jesus Christ stops him and meets him in all his glory. And Saul falls on his face before God. turns and trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior. We go over to the book of Acts in chapter 16. Now we see the man of God, Paul, Silas, and they're in prison. Once again, they're in circumstances. They're just troubling and dire circumstances. They're singing and praising God at midnight. God does a mighty work. And what happens at jailer? comes to them trembling before them. Trembling before them. He says, what must I do to be saved? You see, when we are men of God, when we are women of God, not only will it give us, in the whole context of our life, that we'll know the presence and the power of God, not only will it give us boldness, so that when we speak, we speak with the assurance of the Word of God. We speak with the authority of the Word of God. But it'll bring conviction to the lives and the hearts of others. It'll bring conviction when you're on the street speaking to someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It'll bring conviction to their heart and their soul to the point where they'll listen and they'll stop and they'll listen to the Word of God and they'll respond to the Word of God. And that's what we need today. That's what our country needs. We don't need a change of politics. We need the power of God in the lives of God's people. That's what will change. Because God will change the hearts and the lives eternally. It starts right here. It starts with this statement. A statement of context of a whole life. A statement of confidence. A statement of conviction. But may I say this, it's a statement that challenges me every day. 
Because Elijah said, if I be a man of God. So many times I think of that phrase. If I be a man of God and I look at my own life, I look in the mirror. And I say to myself before God, am I right now a man of God? Right now am I a man of God? Am I really a man of God? God help us to hunger after this very thing. God help us to seek him, to change us, to make us, to be men of God.